The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic for Crave Online and various other places as well. You may know me as the beast on the schmodown and everyone calls me Bibs. And sometimes you are a supervillain. Yes. Happy- <laughs> growl, my, growl. My name is Whitney Seibold. Uh, I am also a film critic. You are. I, I write for various outlets. You sure do, Whitney. I write for Blumhouse.com. Uh-huh. I write for the New Beverly blog, where I am also a projectionist. Yes. And I am the co-host of the B-Movies podcast. From, from whence, whence we, we hail. hail. Uh, this week on Cancelled Too Soon, we wanted to make a concerted effort uh, not to do a sci-fi series. We've done so <laughs> many in a row. We did both the Battle Stars. We did Charlie Jade. We did Journeyman, uh, and all those are great. But there's so many other avenues of television history. There are so many other ways in which TV can fail. It's yes. not just bad sci-fi. Sometimes it's also middling comedy, like really, 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 really middling comedy. <laughs> um, and this is a this is a very interesting television series. We're going to talk about from a lot of different sort of historical perspectives in terms of how people's careers fit into it, mm-hmm. and sort of odd issues of representation we just sort of chanced into uh, <laughs> that really no one talks about in relationship to this mm-hmm. series. And I think it'll be hopefully a little illuminating and uh, maybe sort of open up a couple of chapters uh, in mm-hmm. television history for people who aren't aware of it. Um, but before we get to this week's series, mm-hmm. did you hear we're on Patreon? Ah, yes, the horror segment of the show. Yes, in which we just sort of thrust ourselves at you and say, here, take some. Uh, yes, we are on Patreon. Throw pa- money at us and we'll give you things. Uh, this is true. We are on Patreon. And uh, if you like the free content, boy, howdy, will you like the not free content. Uh, you can... <laughs> Uh, you can uh, subscribe at any level you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you subscribe at 5 or 10 or $20, though, you get increasingly elaborate stuff from us. Yeah. Uh, the baseline for $5 a month, you get to vote for future episodes. There's a poll going on right now, and every time someone's like, oh, I haven't voted in that poll, I'd better vote. Like, one other person does, and the vote's a tie again. Yep. So we still don't know what the winner <laughs> of next month's poll is going to be, and we're going to do that one in, like, two weeks, so we might have to come up with some sort of weird tiebreaker question mm. if that doesn't plan out, but we got some cool shows up on that, including uh, Whiz Kids, which is like hackers, but in the 80s with preteens. Uh, Cliffhangers, which was this weird drama with multiple shows kind of fighting each other. Uh, this weird sort of Twin Peaks offshoot called Pasadena. And uh, uh, also Masquerade, which is this odd uh, idea for a spy show in which ordinary people became spies mm. for the day. Um, if you're a Patreon subscriber, the $5 level, you can vote for which one of those you want us to cover. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you if you don't get... subscribe, you get to hear the episode anyway. Oh, yeah. It's not a secret. You just don't get to choose. Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, for $5, you also get uh, a bonus episode every month of the mm-hmm. Cancel Too Soon monthly movie. We're just about to record uh, our, our next episode of that for July. Uh, it is the fucking 
awful <laughs> remake of Dirty Dancing, and we're going to go through it bit by bit because it's going it to take is, a long time. It is weirdly long. Mm. <laughs> it is so fucking long. It's 130 minutes, guys. Uh, but we also have cool other stuff. We're, we're finishing up uh, the designs for our merch, and we're going to be able to start sending out the merch for those of you who are in our upper tiers very, very soon. Uh, you're going to be able to pick from a couple of different shirt designs, that kind of stuff. Uh, we have our Cancel Too Soon Club, in which we send you cool pop culture curios, and then we all hang out on Google Hangout together and talk about them. Whitney is uh, putting that together right now, right? Indeed, I am. Cool. All right, so we'll be uh, we'll be mailing those out in the next week or so. Nice. Uh, I hope mm-hmm. that's the plan. It, it is to be hoped. Good. Okay. When he's in charge of this one, I'll be in charge of the next one. It'll be interesting <laughs> to see what he makes us do, um, and uh, a whole bunch of the cool stuff as well. Working on a book. Uh, we are. Uh, putting together a lot of fun other goodies, exclusive videos, which we haven't done one of those in, the, in a week or so. We need to catch up on that. Uh, if you have any suggestions for videos you'd like us to do, uh, stuff that we can do. I'm not an expert editor, nor do we have a lot of time mm. to do After Effects and stuff. But um, if you'd like us uh, to talk about a certain topic that's maybe a little off topic for Cancel <laughs> Too Soon, but... Well, sort of fits the show. We'll do that on video and we'll do it on Patreon. You're a subscriber. You're essentially our boss. We'll do what you say. That's right. So in any case, patreon.com slash canceled to too soon. It's canceled with one L. Mm. Uh, join us. But regardless, these shows will always mm. be free. And this week we've got a doozy. So join not us just, if you not will. Not just a doozy, but a doozy. A doozy. Join us, if you will, for the last precinct. Guy jumped from the last precinct. Interesting possibility. Sergeant Bryce Pascoe, he's the brains of the outfit. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a show. And Night Train is his partner. Come on, Chinese Now Mel will break your heart. He used to be a guy, but now he's a girl. If you know what I mean. Good man, that woman. And Officer Reed is slightly overweight and very oversexed. I love this. All under the watchful eye of Captain Rob Wright. This is one night. Precinct to the craziest bunch of cops that ever hit the streets. Yabba dabba doo. They didn't graduate from the police academy. They escaped to the last precinct. The last precinct mm. is uh, it, it was a, a series. It was a Stephen J. Cannell co-creation. St- Stephen J. Cannell did like every show you love from the eighties. He and, did, and a few of the bad ones. Oh, too. he did Knight Rider and the A Team. He was Hunter uh, and Wise Guy. Uh, he did. He did uh, Twenty One Jump Street. A lot no. of big hit shows. But when he missed, mm. he missed hard. And uh, we've already done. Two of his shows already on the show, on the program. Yes, we did Profit, which is very well received critically and is considered very influential despite its failings. Mm. And he also did the One Hundred Lives of Blackjack Savage, which is one of the most shocking misfires in the history of television. What we've learned now with the Last Precinct is that maybe Stephen J. Cannell shouldn't do comedy. Has uh, no sense of humor. He, he well, he does, but he what he's. He's just trying to like take bits and pieces of other people's sense of, of humor and sort of reconfigure them into something that he's mm-hmm. kind of comfortable with. Yeah, which which is a cop procedural, which is usually a very stead affair. Yeah, this was around They're the time very, Hill Street Blues was yeah, on the so air. You know, he's like, trying to do a Hill Street Blues thing, but Police Academy was really big at the time, and that's what he's trying to. To do. Yeah. No, trying to do Police Academy the series before either of those shows were ever, yeah. ever made it to There it. actually were two Police Academy the series, one mm-hmm. cartoon and one live action. Were either of them canceled too soon material? No, they it, were both. I think they were both two season shows. That's amazing. Yeah. But The Last Precinct qualifies, and The Last Precinct really does play. It's that kind of nonstop, wacky, slobs versus snobs. 
mm. uh, raucous, raunchy, goofy sense of humor. Mm. But like, you know how b- like b- borderline slapstick, there's a lot of sort of really broad, almost fantastical things that happen from time to time. Yeah. You know how like uh, Police Academy 1 and maybe Police Academy 2 are kind of funny? And you know how like three and four, oh. they're okay? No, actually one is one is funny. Two is just more the same. Three is the best one. Okay. Four is crap. Five is pain. Okay. And six and seven, nobody remembers. Okay. So. This is so. This is not Police Academy the series. This is Police oh. Academy for the series. More that's or what less. I would say. Like this, this is that's, Police Academy. That's where it peaks. And it's like there's occasionally mm. there's like a really funny joke, mm. but usually not. Now the basic premise the, is this. Uh-huh. The basic premise of the Last Precinct is uh, we're going to take all of these sort of stock, funny cop characters to the extent that basically, like, if there was ever a cop show in which you were forced to partner, you normal cop, Mm. with someone who was wacky, Mm. they put all the wacky people in the same precinct. So if, like, you were supposed to have, like, a slobbish, fat guy Mm. character who made a lot of dumb, fat jokes... He's in that precinct without the normal guy partner. Which was you know? a subplot in Police Academy 2, actually. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's ethnic stereotypes. Well, uh, well, the, the idea you know, is there's that... There's a guy who thinks there's he's a, Elvis. There's a bunch of cops who are... Whether or not they're good cops or not, they're all kind of weird and can't work with any of the other cops. So they're all shoved in the same precinct in Los Angeles. They don't ever say the city's name, but they name it's city Los streets. Angeles. It's Los yeah, Angeles. Yeah. So there are a bunch of L- weird L.A. cops who all work at the same precinct somewhere in L.A. And they have to take on bonkers cases and they apply their unique uh, intuitive approach uh, and their weird talents that they may have mm-hmm. towards solving these crimes. And it's all it's. Going for a Police Academy vibe, it's going for kind of a Police Squad vibe, but it's also an hour-long program that's really plot-centric. Yeah, like, imagine if Family Guy was an hour-long every week. Mm. Like, I know a lot of us like Family Guy, and a lot of us don't like Family Guy, Mm. but... It, it can't really sustain itself for that long, you know? Like, you can't, you can't have Aqua Teen Hunger Force for an hour. They tried. It's hard to watch. <laughs> it's pretty unwatchable. Yeah. I, I, as much as I dig that movie, it's pretty unwatchable. Yeah, exactly. So, like, The Last Precinct is the idea for a comedy. Like, this is almost like an okay idea for a cartoon. But the ambition that they had to turn it into an hour-long series with a pretty good cast yeah. with a decent amount of money thrown at it. Like some of the car chases look expensive. <laughs> like this is not like a cheap throwaway show. The last precinct, a lot of people have never heard of this program. The last precinct was the series that NBC premiered after Super Bowl 20. So they had a lot of faith in this thing. Yeah. It premiered uh, on January 26, 1986, right after Super Bowl 20. Mm. And then for whatever reason, they sat on it until April 11th. <laughs> like they just like oh people were not interested yeah. we're not going to capitalize well, on any goodwill we'll sit on it until April 11th it aired after Riptide in the last season of Riptide if you remember Riptide <laughs> you're better than I am oh everybody remembers Riptide it was also aired after Knight Rider after Knight Rider was over <laughs> like <laughs> Knight Rider ended like got Ended oh, like a, its like season in syndication, or no? Like it ended its season, like that season, and then yeah. it had a couple of reruns, and the reruns aired before Last Precinct. 
So they didn't have a lot of faith after no, it did. I guess it debuted to very low numbers. It, 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 P- Miami Vice was afterwards, mm-hmm. but near as I could tell, Miami Vice was usually a rerun. And so it just we, sandwiched between reruns. We know Miami Vice was after because we heard the bumpers on the video we got. And there was always really weird, like, this week on Miami Vice, mm-hmm. Bruce Willis moonlights as a, as a cop in Miami Vice. Well, This week I on think... Miami Vice, Lee Iacocca shows up. I'm like, what? <laughs> Holy so crap. The, the characters in this show are all uh, blatant ripoffs of... Uh, uh, police Academy characters. Basically. So we have the Steve Gutenberg character, the Mahoney, mm-hmm. uh, Ser- Sergeant Price Pascal. He uh, was played by Jonathan Perpich, Perpich. Uh, who was on the two season sitcom Throb, and he was in two Eight is Enough reunion movies as someone's husband. Wow. Yeah. So he is. That was, those were his claims to fame. He did not do a lot. He's boring and has no personality. Uh, more who has more personality well, is the Michael Winslow character, uh, who yeah. is Night Train, played by Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson, who? Okay, now you know Ernie Hudson. Obviously, you know Ernie Hudson. Mm. He was in Ghostbusters. Mm. Uh, he does a lot of great work in television. He was in Oz, mm. and uh, 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 I mean, help me out here. Like, yeah, what he, else? Is, he, he's, he's been in everything. He's been in everything. He's been okay. a, he's been around a he, lot. He's fantastic. And oftentimes when we see an actor like Ernie Hudson on a show in our program, Mm. it's either because they're like the classy older actor who was kind of slumming it a bit and the show didn't take off. Or in this case, you know, you'd think it would be the young version of the actor before his career took off. This was two years after Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. And he was playing second fiddle to Jonathan Perpich in The Last Precinct. But I think as Night Train, he over the course of the eight episodes that this show lasted, he kind of becomes the lead. Yeah. He takes over because the main, they don't have any stories for the main white guy. And and Night Train has a more interesting character and he has more interesting stories. They basically flat out say, Mm. all of the outcasts, we just put them in this precinct and we try not to think about them. Mm. In fact, their, their, their jurisdiction literally overlaps with the sheriff's department. So we assume the sheriff's department will do Mm. most of the work. (laughs) Like we just can't fire them for any Mm. particularly good reason. So they're just over there. So, Again, you've got, uh, but but the thing is, is that for all the ones that are super obvious, like, okay, there's a guy who dresses like Elvis Presley, performs like Elvis Presley. Rather well, in fact. He's good. He's a professional Elvis impersonator. Like, uh, the actor is... Uh, Elvis King. Pete Wilcox is his name. Yeah, and he played an Elvis impersonator in everything from Sledgehammer to mm. Charles in Charge on two separate occasions. Mm. The movie Wired, the John Belushi biopic. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Cheers, Renegade, Pacific Blue, in which he played a preacher Elvis. ER, and not the original shitty ER, the good ER. Uh, like, he was, he did that all over the place. Okay, and we have, uh, again, there's the slovenly guy. Mm. There's the woman who runs uh, the uh, evidence locker, who is an oh. infomaniac. Um, She's, uh, her, her character's name is Rena, which mm. makes this the second canceled to episode, canceled too soon episode in a row where one of the lead characters is named Rena. Because the lead character from uh, from Charlie huh. Jade was also named Rena. That's odd uh, symmetry. Lucy, Le- Lucy Lee Flippin is the name mm-hmm. of that actress who was in Police Academy too. So yes, she we're, was. we're we're getting really close here. Yep. Um, and uh, but- she, she played oversexed older lady, older in quotations ladies for a long time. But what's weird is that the two protagonists mm-hmm. aren't that weird. Price Pascal got shoved into the fifty sixth precinct. Mm-hmm. The fifty sixth. Precinct. Wow, that's a little harder to say than I thought. Uh, because he slept with the commissioner's underage daughter. Yeah. Which was funny in the early 80s, and mm. now is fucked up. 
which it always should have been. <laughs> Weird. And there's no particular explanation for why uh, Ernie Hudson's character is there. No, in fact, he's he's the most capable. Well, he's fine. He, he he's a womanizer, and, uh, but he's yeah. not like he's not even that disrespectful about it. He's just sort of got a wandering he, eye. Yeah, he, he and Mel are like the most uh, like just capable police officers. Yeah. Well, and then Mel uh, Mel is the interesting character. Here. Mel is uh, played by uh, an actress named Randy Brooks, uh, yes. who played the really funny hooker with an annoying voice in The Man with Two Brains. She was also uh, in the movie Terror Vision, not to be confused with the anthology series Terror Vision, <laughs> which is one of our best episodes she, ever. She's a, a tall, pretty, leggy blonde, mm-hmm. and her backstory is that she used to be a man. Yeah, she is, and, as near as we can tell, uh, the first series regular transgender character mm-hmm. in a network TV series. Now, there was another TV series called All That Glitters, for Norman Lear, but that was syndicated. This mm. is NBC putting a transgender character mm. in like the third lead uh-huh. on their show, and which just wasn't done. It's a weird thing. Now she's a cisgender woman, and mm. in, in, in reality, yeah. But playing playing a transgender character—that's no one talks about this. It's really weird. Uh, well, because nobody remembers this show at all. It's, yeah. it's yeah. She she was probably the first. Um, Here's we can tell. If you know an earlier one, let us know. Although there are plenty of ew female jokes, there's a few um, that are really bad. There's a few really that, that are really bad. The show is surprisingly sensitive about the character, and the other characters are really sensitive toward the other regular characters are sensitive towards her. Mostly, other than the villain character who is. Uh, <laughs> the Wings Hauser character, oh, yeah. I.e. I. the G.W. Bailey character. Uh-huh. Um, but here's the deal. We say Police the Wings, Academy. Oftentimes when we say the Wings Hauser character, what we're really talking about is some actor who's playing the role Wings Hauser would play, mm. some kind of like over-the-top bad guy. Here they got actual, actual Wings, Wings Hauser. Hauser yeah. And this is post-Vice <laughs> Squad Wings Hauser. Wings Hauser was an actor, like was an, it was a recognizable actor uh, by this. I'm point. not sure if Vice Squad, like Vice Squad, is clearly his best role, but I'm not sure if it was like a big hit or it's a cinema classic by any stretch. But he was not like by the way nothing if, roles. If you haven't seen Vice Squad, it's a cop <laughs> film from 1982. Season Hubbley plays a hooker on the streets of L.A. Wings Hauser not only produced it, but he sings the opening theme song. <laughs> shrieking into the mic, singing a song called Neon Slime. And in it, he plays an evil, nearly superhuman super pimp in cowboy boots <laughs> who beats hookers to death and runs across rooftops away from cops. It's pretty spectacular. Wow. Yeah. Vice Squad is great. Yeah. Well, he's the he's the stuck up bad guy. But really, mm. the interesting characters are Ernie Hudson, mm-hmm. uh, Mel. And we're going to talk a lot about how the show treats her because depending on the episode, mm-hmm. it's either... Impressively progressive, mm. or oh fucking goddamn it! Yeah, well, and 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 it, and sometimes mm. it'll switch mid scene, <laughs> and it's really really weird. We'll talk about that. But the other great character, mm. Adam West. Adam West plays. Uh, he plays the George Gaines character of, yeah. the pol- of Police Academy. Yeah, we're gonna I, be making I, a lot I, of Police the, Academy references in this episode. Uh, I.e., the older, clueless commandant mm-hmm. who's sort of in charge of all of this, and he has some of the greatest lines in the show. He's he's the one person mm-hmm. who is in exactly the right show. Yes, like you yeah. do this show. If you did this show ten years later, 
you would still get Adam West to play that character. <laughs> and what's weird is that we think of Adam West, we reviewed Look Well, mm-hmm. which was sort of ahead of its time in terms of how uh, sort of meta it was about Adam West's career yeah. and his approach to comedy. But like in the years that would follow, in the late 90s and the 2000s, Adam West would become very self-referential about his career and he would mm-hmm. be appreciated more mm-hmm. as a comedic actor. Yeah, The 80s was not that time. And if you look at the other credits he had around that time, they were just bit parts in movies. Mm. Just random. He just couldn't get particularly good work. This is like one of his biggest role in the 80s. Like this and, is a lead role in a television series. And, I feel and like they're using was, him the way Family Guy uses him. In that, yeah, the sort of self... The, there are certain actors who have no choice but to riff on their own careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even great actors, somebody like Al Pacino, for instance, spend a lot, or, or even De Niro, like they spend a lot of time riffing on parts we already know about them. Mm-hmm. Their, and, their uh, early parts were too iconic. You yeah, can't and, not. Yeah. And uh, the 1980s, we weren't at that point of self-awareness and self-parody yet. Mm-hmm. And so to do this in 1986 was perhaps the most daring thing Adam West could have done. Yeah. It's like, so, I'm, I'm Adam West. I'm going to play this broad comedic version that I'm of Batman that I'm known for, but I'm going to repurpose it and make myself the buffoon, but I'm a talented enough deadpan comedian that I can get away with that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it's a really a great part for him. And like the first, it's frustrating because the first couple episodes, they don't ask him to do much. And then they realize, oh wait, Adam West is the most talented person we have. Mm. We're going to put him in a luchador costume yeah. and have him yeah, yeah. defuse bombs wearing a luchador costume. Mm. That was a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> It was a good episode. And yeah. He has my favorite line of, of many, maybe any of the shows that we've covered on Council. It's a good here, line. Where uh, they they're have to track down a vampire. Okay, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll explain. <laughs> we'll but explain. Yeah. But uh, played by Richard Lynch. But uh, you can't escape Richard Lynch. It's the third, like the third series third in a series month that we've has had Richard Lynch in it. But uh, they have to track down a vampire played by Richard Lynch, and they're not. They think, oh, that's ridiculous. There's no such thing as vampires. And and uh, Night Train says that would be like saying there's a werewolf loose in the city. And and Adam West steps in. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. There are no werewolves in this part of the city. <laughs> Completely earnest. It's great. It's great. Hilarious. All right. Uh, before we get going, oh, and there's some other yeah. characters as well. Like, oh, there's a uh, whole bunch. Rick DeCommon plays the fat guy. The joke is that he's a fat mm-hmm. guy. Rick DeCommon, you oh. know him from the Burbs. Yeah, he was Tom Hanks' best friend in the Burbs. Had all the right. funniest That's lines in the Burbs. Um, there's uh, Alphabet. They call him Alphabet because they can't pronounce his name because it has too mm. many letters in it. And the, the yeah. physical gag is that his name is so long, his nameplate extends off of his chest, which is kind of fine. Uh, he's played by Vijay Amritraj, and mm. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that name. Uh, he's actually a famous Indian tennis player. Oh, the tennis player. Yeah, okay. famous Indian tennis. And he did some other acting. He was in Octopussy. He played a captain in Star Trek Four. That's right. And he was in a Cancel Too Soon series I want to track down and didn't realize existed. What a country. Starring Yakov Smirnov about a whole bunch of immigrants who are trying to take their citizenship test. Oh, I forgot about that one. I did not know that existed, and now I'm on a quest. Yakov Smirnov was really big in the 80s, so I was really familiar with his shtick just by osmosis. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, And there was also... And I, I... I, I wish I knew if this was a real name or not, but there's an actress, and this is not the character's name, this is the actress's name, Yana Nirvana. Yeah. 
Uh, who who is you, you? You've seen her around. She plays like tough wit ladies and cops in yeah. many movies. Well, she, she was, was in, in like, she was in Stunt Rock. Yeah, which she is was awesome movie. Uh, she was also in the erotic Cinderella mm. in 1977 with Rainbow Smith. Yep, that's pretty cool. And she uh, also wrote now for the Newlywed Game and the Dating Game. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so well, it's kind of fun to find out. Yana Nirvana and Randy Brooks are kind of like a bifurcation of the Leslie Easterbrook character yeah. from Police Academy. The, the sort of tough, ball busting, but really sexy character. You remember her? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, she was great. Leslie Easterbrook is terrific. But yeah. yeah, Randy Brooks is just sort of like the capable sex bomb. And they actually put her in like really sexy positions a lot, like try to put her undercover as like the babe in multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. Whereas Yana Nirvana and often is they like, forget to comment on it. Yeah. The first couple episodes, they're like, "Remember, this is a guy." Like mm-hmm. they even have like little captions on there, like mm-hmm. in case you missed the first part of the episode and don't get the joke. Yeah, is that she's a guy and she's sexy. Mm-hmm. Like after a while, they stop doing that, and it's just like. She's a trans woman. And she looked great. And she looks great. <laughs> and they just put her and in the outfits. And fine with it. And they have Randy Brooks, who's a lovely lady. So yeah. just put her in those outfits and have her just play that shtick. It's yeah. fine. You don't need to do the trans shtick that But then often. you have the, again, the other half of the Leslie Easterbrook character was that she was super tough. Yeah. Like super tough. Like just, it's almost socially awkward in how mm-hmm. tough she was. And all of that goes to the Yana Nirvana character, Sergeant Martha Haggerty, who is just punches anyone who looks at her mm-hmm. wrong. And she usually does it because of sexual harassment. So she's even like Adam West is just like, it's fine. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, okay. It's, yeah, that's fair. And yeah. the show has its very own Mr. Schneider from the Monkees character in the most terrifying thing you can possibly imagine. Oh, in- oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. Oh, God. Well, okay, so, well, so- well, they were going for that Mr. Schneider vibe. Do you remember Mr. Schneider from they, The Monkees? Describe for people who don't know. The, the Monkees, they lived in an apartment together. They had a mannequin, but it was like this rubbery face thing that would occasionally move and move its own jaw. Uh-huh. And it's the kind of thing you have nightmares about because it's really terrifying. Yeah. Look up a picture of Mr. Schneider right now, and I defy you not to have a nightmare about it. <laughs> Well, they also had a mannequin in this show that was kind of a regular character and rode in a sidecar. Yeah, uh, Raid, the, uh, mm. the again, and, and I use, I'm going to mm. describe them sometimes by their caricatures because mm. as far as the show is concerned, that's all they are. Uh, the fat guy. Uh, that, he, that's all he had going for that's him. All, he has, that's all he had going for him. And, and we're going to talk about that because uh, that's why the show doesn't work for me. <laughs> uh, not just because fat guy, but because mm. that's the tone. Um, but he, he rides a motorcycle with a sidecar and there's always a mannequin in the sidecar and it's not like, you'd think it would be like something kind of cheeky, like a blow up doll or something like, oh, how offensive or, oh, how vaguely sexy Mm -hmm. or maybe just a regular daddy, like a recessa Annie doll or something. Instead, it's a slightly too realistic old balding man and whenever he stops the motorcycle the old balding mannequin flies out onto the hood of someone's car and then laughs in a high-pitched laugh mm. not unlike this mm. <laughs> you should, you should just, you should find a clip of the laugh and good luck just, finding clips of this show it's, it's because a, it's kind of hard to track down. it's especially terrifying because the version we saw was dubbed from an old vhs so the sound was kind of garbled throughout the entire run yeah. and that laugh in garbled vhs sound is exactly the sort of thing i had nightmares about i'm trying to child. figure out like I, my it's, gift it's skills like aren't, trash humpers level of terrifying my gift skills aren't great but i'm trying to gif it i'm trying to find a way <laughs> just to share this with the world and people are like no why did you do this but uh yeah so oh, and put, put in, in sundance 
Pardon? Butch and Sundance. Oh, Butch and Sundance. One of one of whom is played by Keenan Wynn. Yeah. Uh, the, the other, there's two partners. Doctor Strange Love and a thousand other movies. There's you know? two other cops. They are elderly cops. Keenan Wynn was, I think, about seventy at the time he made this. Mm. He died the year later. Uh, he mm. was, you know, they were just, and the whole idea was, they're all cops. Mm. They're just old. That's about it. They're actually not uncapable. There's actually a whole bunch of recurring gags about them, like, chasing down guys on rooftops. Like, they're actually, like, halfway good. But, like, um, yeah. that's a, The other guy's played old. by Hunk. Sorry, Hank. I'm uh, not exactly how to, pronou- how to pronounce his name. Rolicky? Rolike? Uh, I, w- I would have gone with Rolicky. Rolicky? Yeah. Hank Rolicky, who was in uh, the first two Rocky movies. He played uh, Apollo Creed's coach. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, they, every uh, sort of police academy type show, you don't just have uh, like the one peer who hates them. Mm-hmm. That uh, is the um, what's his name? G.W. Bailey. No, the Vice Squad guy. Oh, Wings Hauser. Wings Hauser. Sorry, okay. slight and tired. Uh, that's the Wingshauser character. Mm. He's kind of ineffectual. He's always trying to stop them, but he doesn't actually have any power over them. Mm. The guy who has power he just, over He just them. hates them. Yeah. <laughs> there is a guy who has power over them and doesn't like them, so he is a potential threat, and so mm. they actually have to change their behavior around him. Mm. That oh, is, and this is Bloodhorn. This is Captain Bloodhorn, mm. uh, played by James Cromwell. Yep. Now, James Cromwell is a very well-respected actor now, and he's an Academy Award nominee. You know him from L.A. Confidential, The People vs. Larry Flint. You know him from Babe. He's in The King's Speech. Yeah, Yeah. he's been around. He's fantastic. Uh, Throughout, like, the 70s and 80s and half of the 90s, he was just a hard-working TV actor. Yeah. And he was in everything. Throughout most of his career, he's just a hard-working actor. He's respected now, and he's earned the respect. No, that's the funny thing. It's that he didn't find acclaim until he was, I think, at least in his late 40s. Like, he was... I I think Babe was it. Babe was sort of like the thing that really introduced him to the world. Yeah, and then everyone's just like, oh, wait, haven't we seen him in everything? Wasn't he the dad in Revenge of the Nerds? Yep. Yeah, and wasn't he the dad in The Explorers as well? Yeah, yeah, he's been around. Isn't he in like he three play, characters plays, on Next Generation or something? Uh, well, he played Zephram Cochran in, in First no, Contact. But before that, wasn't he another uh, no, I don't think Star so. Trek stuff? Like makeup or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm. big ensemble cast of characters. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, they made them do a bunch of silly stuff. Well, since they're going for that Police Academy tone and they're still trying to cram it into a police procedural... Uh, the tone is all over the place mm-hmm. because sometimes it's really broad slapstick. Sometimes it's really down to earth comedy in that just sort of people joking with one another. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're really just trying to tell a story Yeah, and the stories are all really broad and the stories are actually like they were old when Laurel and Hardy did them. Like you got people in gorilla costumes. Oh yeah. And, oh God. The gorilla, gorilla costumes. costumes. They even did. They even do the gag where mm. someone inherits a haunted house and they have to spend the night. Yeah. That gag was mm. old when I was born mm. and they managed to pull it off. So let's talk about uh, the, the pilot. Mm. The pilot is called The Last Precinct uh, and it is long. It's like a two-part episode. Mm. And I'm going to throw it out there. My theory is... I think this script was originally just sort of a cheapo police academy knockoff movie that they yeah. repurposed into a pilot because this pilot it's not a particularly good movie mm. but I've seen so many other 
quote unquote wacky 80s comedies that play on exactly this level. Yeah. Your uh, joysticks, <laughs> your hamburger the movie. Well, hamburger, kind of hamburger thing. the movie is like a nearly surreal, but something like Ski School, just the usual raunchy yeah. sex comedy with adults that you saw a lot of in the 1980s. Moving violations. Uh, this may have even been, and this is just a theory, a pilot for a Police Academy series. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a lot of tropes and sexiness that they abandoned actually pretty quickly, but are really trying to establish something uh, early on. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the first couple episodes start at this sort of Hooters type drive-in diner, which I think is called Cheekies or something, and something it's like all that. and it's all sexy ladies and mm-hmm. short shorts. It was and- back when every restaurant was a Hooters. <laughs> In like, movies, yeah, 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 like just, just that's just the people that worked there were Hooters people. So they're they're clearly trying to go for something kind of titillating and animal housey, and there's gonna like Police Academy, the original was rated R, if you recall, and very had much a lot, so. and had some toplessness in it, and was very sex centered, and Steve Gutenberg's character was all about betting Kim Cattrall, mm. and uh, there was a character who was sneaking into the women's dorms and sleeping with all the women. There were, and they got safer and safer as they went on, and people don't really think of the Police Academy movies as being sexed up, but in 1986 we still had that. We yeah. still had this sort of sexy element. So they're really trying to go for something kind of prurient. It doesn't really work. It's actually just a lot of cheap gags. Well, it's on and, NBC. And, you can only get yeah, so and, sexy. And so, so they're only, as sexy as they can get is cast really attractive actresses and put them in short shorts. And, so they do. And they and the first, them. And the first bit, you're, you're watching it for like two minutes mm. with just these two waitresses who will not be important characters later. Mm. They pre- we pretend like they're going to be, but yeah, they're, they're not. And it's just like, it, what are we, is, this is a TV show, right? Is it about cops? Where are the cops? And then a guy comes in and you think he's going to flash them? Mm-hmm. And he actually like pulls out a gun and like holds them up and like they're they're his hostages. Mm. And then Wingshauser shows up with a fleet of cop cars. I guess this is where they all go for dinner. And they're all in formation. <laughs> and you think, ah, oh, here are the good cops. They're mm. gonna fix everything. And then he's completely oblivious because he's an egotistical blowhard, and she thinks when she's trying to signal him that they're being held hostage, that she's flirting with him. Mm. And then the last precinct shows up. And boy, howdy, are they wacky. They're <laughs> careening around things. The fat guy is stealing food off people's plate as he drives by. They bust into various cars, which is I'm that, pretty sure you're not allowed to do. Is that really horrible mannequin? The mannequin flies through the air and screams its unholy laugh. Mm. Screams. Gosh, that thing is scary. Screams in my face and <laughs> nightmares forever. And uh, sure enough, it all comes down to the sheriff's department or the last precinct, which of them are going to be able to catch the guy. It turns out the last precinct is marginally more capable. Well, that's, that's the, here's, here's the one thing I, I well, not the one thing actually, there's actually a lot of things that I started to like about this show uh, as it progressed. And the thing I liked that they established in the pilot and they never let go of was that these people, even though they're wacky and strange and they have strange talents, still get the job done. They're actually pretty good at being cops. They get results. Unless the plot demands that they not. Exactly. Well, Which is one of the things that's frustrating. It's inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, but you're but right. I, I think they find a groove, like the last three or four episodes, I think they kind of found a groove. You're right. You're right. It's kind of that Ace Ventura thing. You yeah, like get away the, with being broad if you're good at your job. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that that's actually a good tack for this show to take, is that they're, they're not just weirdos, they're actually good cops. Yeah, fair enough. And... 
most of the cases involve using an Elvis song in some context. So it's a good thing they have a guy who thinks he's Elvis. Yeah, and he like, and we were introduced to the king. He's like in like the the room with the jail cells performing to all of the people they've arrested. Mm-hmm. And most of them are really cool. They're like, this jail is great. Uh, <laughs> I should have gotten arrested years ago. Um, we then cut to uh, the inside of like a restaurant, like a like a mm-hmm. dive restaurant where a bunch of no good Nicks are up to no good, Nick. And Ernie Hudson comes in and he's obviously doing Huggy Bear. Yeah. yeah. He's doing like a, 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 a trumped up mm-hmm. stereotypical ethnic bad guy <laughs> who talks in a oh. certain way and boasts about himself in a way that's very bizarre. There's a line I used in the clip you heard before, which just mm. gives you sort of a general idea of where a lot of the humor is, which is like, I'm harder than Chinese arithmetic. Mm. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure math is the same throughout different cultures, sir. <laughs> pretty no, sure that, it's the same math. That, that's an old saying. I know it's a stupid mm. saying and it's racist. <laughs> I don't didn't care for it, but regardless, it's no no more racist than the phrase "wishy washy." No, that too. Uh, I fair enough. <laughs> um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, so they're they're doing an undercover sting, mm. and uh, there's a blind bad guy who will show up in a couple episodes. Yeah, a few couple actually. Weird recurring element. After a while, and, I'm surprised they brought anything back ever. And there's a few uh, blind jokes, but they don't Mister Magoo him. Like no. he's, he's he's an actual bad guy and he's blind. He's just he's a little oblivious sometimes to a comedic effect, but he's not like you know falling down manhole covers or anything right, like that. Right, you know, right. um, and they find out that he's laundering money, and uh, they they the next day they go and they go to one of his drop off points and they find a whole bunch of drugs. Uh, with uh, with and, their, and it turns out he's a drug dealer too. Yeah, uh, but in order to find those drugs. They had to get a drug-sniffing dog, and their own drug-sniffing dog is narcoleptic? He's always asleep. Yeah. It's like they just shove him in duffel bags and, like, you know, walk, carry around with him rather than, like, carrying the... I'm, the, the I'm, I got the impression that it was dead. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> we know. Have a, we have a drug-sniffing dog, but it's dead. So what they decide to do is they're going to steal the sheriff's department's dog. Mm. Since they're both the same breed, they're just going to switch them out. So they have Mel like seduce a guy mm. who's in charge of the dog. And uh, then they, they make a distraction, and then they switch out the dogs. Mm. So they have a good dog. But then, no, once, th- they, once they do the bust, uh. the, the blind guy comes in with his seeing-eye dog, which is the same breed. And then Alphabet takes both the dogs out for a walk at the same time. And he mixes them up. And he mixes them up. But the dog is the key witness in the blind bad guy's case. So he orders a hit on the dog, and it's his own dog. And they end up killing that dog, and isn't mm. that fucked up? And they need to re- find the real drug-sniffing dog who's at the police guy's place, and they break into his house, okay, and... Okay, st- stop, stop, stop. I think you get the idea, dear listener. <laughs> of how weirdly uh, ornate this yeah, is. Yeah, how, how they have to pad out... They, they essentially combined, like, eight different sitcom plots into one episode. It's like that's, they, why, they, that's why I feel like it feels like a movie. It feels mm. like it's just it's too much stuff. Yeah. And there's so many different gags that are set up in this particular pilot that demand that you remember which dog is which Mm. to the extent where they have captions on the screen saying, this is the seeing eye dog, remember? Mm. Because you might have come in halfway through the episode and mm. not picked up on that. So that's not funny. The captions were not only helpful in terms of story, they're also maybe the funniest conceit on the show. 
after a while, they start doing funny stuff with them. I think the yeah, pilot, well, they're I not mean, funny. Th- not, in the pilot, they're not funny. I think they may have included that just to keep the plot clear. But it gave the writers in later episodes license to do goofy stuff. In episode, I think it's five, uh, the one that takes place near a pizzeria. Mm-hmm. There's a, a scene where they dr- somebody drops a pizza on the street and it gets run over by a car. And then we cut to a close-up of the pizza... And there's a caption on the screen explaining that damage to pizzas, rather tragically, happens within 30 feet of a pizzeria. That's, yeah. a, f- that's a funny gag to throw in in the middle of this like chase sequence. Yeah. No, there's another fun <clears throat> one where a whole bunch of people are fleeing a crime scene. Something mm-hmm. bad has happened, and everyone's running, and they're all from different walks of life. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole bunch of subtitles in different languages. Mm-hmm. And that's not funny in and of itself, but they start filling the screen to the extent that you can't see anything. Actually, you can't see the action. And yeah. then someone like pulls out a gun and opens fires... And, and, like, the bullet holes bust through the subtitles. <laughs> and I'm actually watching it, I'm like, that's, that's pretty good. Well done, well done. That's, that's not bad. Uh-huh. I can see that. Um, so, yeah, so the pilot is really long and convoluted. It introduces you to all the characters. Mm-hmm. But then, ironically, you have to wait, like, another three months to see the next episode. <laughs> Thanks, NBC. So all that work is kind of undone. And so mm-hmm. I'm imagining that if you miss that episode, that pilot episode, mm-hmm. and then you're watching all the other ones, the premise is just sort of, it's just a bunch of, wacky cops yeah just doing a bunch of wacky cop stuff and well, there's nothing really to, to, they to did, keep it focused they explain uh like the they explain the premise in just sort of a voiceover at the beginning of every episode because they had the opening musical title sequence but before the musical title sequence they always had like a little bumper explaining what the show was and who the characters are and they yeah. probably did that by by necessity they had to ex- <laughs> since you forgot what the pilot was about they had to explain it to the audience again it wasn't so obvious or annoying. It was just part of the title sequence. And given that we've seen so many shows that give like a brief preview of what we're about to see before the episode began, mm-hmm. was sort of the era for it, having the premise explained in encapsulated like that, I think was their best option. Yeah, probably. I'm not, I'm not complaining about it on this one too much. I think. <laughs> because you're right. I don't think it necessarily spoils anything. Um, so they saved the day. Everything turns out more or less okay. Wingshauser is kind of humiliated. He does. Wingshauser also has like a, a his own like sidekick, mm-hmm. who's actually like really funny. And this is the only thing he ever did. Like he has no other credits on IMDb. Uh-huh. But he has like weird lines, like uh, "Yes, we don't like them because they are bad police officers, and we are good sheriffs." <laughs> Wingshauser's like, "Are you a suck up?" And he's like, "Yes, I am. Great." <laughs> <laughs> The episode ends with the only time they ever do this, mm-hmm. but it's really weird. It just ends with Adam West driving up to the camera saying, we'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Mm-hmm. They never mentioned, they never referenced Batman ever again. Mm-hmm. They never talk about it ever again. Nor do they really like, nor do the characters really break the fourth wall like that. Uh-huh. You know, the subtitles do, but the characters are, are, are in it. So it's this really weird, just like, well, fuck it, we have Adam West. Mm. People will like it. <laughs> People like Adam West when he's Batman, right? Mm. That's all we got. The... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there were a lot of, well, there, there were a lot of strange references. Of, it, it, we have Adam West. We're going to make reference to Batman. There are a lot of other pop culture references that make their way through the show. Now, when Police Squad does it, there's a grace to mm-hmm. it. There's an art to the reference. Uh, Dennis Miller knew it back in his early stand-up days. Uh, ZAZ knew it. They knew how to 
look at something that was definitely going to be recognized from popular culture, but riff on it in sort of a funny way. Mm-hmm. Nobody else seems to know how to do that. Well, I some think- some writers of like some of like later spoof movies that weren't ZAZ also kind of got it, but those movies weren't very popular. I think the, I think the trick is. Mm-hmm. There's something to this, and I'm not. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm going to mm. mess it up. But I think the general idea is this: the characters aren't funny. Mm. The show is. Like the All storytelling right. is funny. Mm. The the side stuff in the, on the walls in the background that's funny. Yeah. The characters are never trying to make you laugh. That yeah they have Ever. they have to be, even if they're weird characters. They have to be completely in earnest. Yeah. Whereas in a show like The Last Precinct, Mm. the characters think they're funny. The characters are buddy buddies Mm. making each other laugh and playing pranks on people. So if they don't have a good sense of humor and if their pranks aren't good, Mm. it's not funny. Case in point, uh, the the good drug sniffing dog that they steal from the sheriffs and the pilot is named Waldo. Now, the idea is that Waldo is this decorated police dog. Mm. who is considered like an expert witness in trial, who has like a whole room to himself and all of his medals. And when Ernie Hudson walks into the room, he says, what is this? The Waldo Astoria? Uh, ah, it's waggy. And again, it it finds its feet later on, but yeah, the the whole notion of trying to cram in these pop culture references and make everything really self-aware, but make the characters like Animal House characters isn't going to work. You can't combine that two. Mm. You have to find what the joke is. Mm. And I feel like I feel like the problem with The Last Precinct is that this, the, the concept is actually very clean. Mm. I like the concept. We're going to put all the misfits in one precinct and everyone underestimates them. And oftentimes they're shunned. But they actually end up doing really, really well. Mm. And so we, the audience, who everyone feels like a misfit sometimes, mm. would like them. Can relate to that. Yeah. But the problem is that they're abrasive jerks a lot of the time. And honestly, they're not even like... It, with The the only people who actually oppress them on any regular basis are Wings Hauser, who's a buffoon, mm. and James Cromwell, who's not in it very much. Yeah, he's only in like three or, three or four of the episodes. Yeah, and, on, and most of them not very much. Mm. So... The, I, it's kind of like when we were talking about Wonder Woman, particularly the 1970s Wonder Woman. Got some fireworks outside. Oh, we're recording this on 4th of July yeah. night. Um, I was wondering, what the hell is he looking at? He just stopped and looked out the window and smiled like a maniac. Uh, but like with the 1970s Wonder Woman, like it, it, if Wonder Woman is strong, that's great. But if she's not strong in the face of any oppression, it doesn't have the same impact. There's no one like keeping you down in the last precinct. They're just free to do whatever the hell they want. Mm. And that's not very inspiring. It's It's, just an excuse for a bunch of caricatures, not even characters, caricatures mm. to do wacky stuff. I think by the time they got to the end of the series, they started to kind of hone in on what the characters were. And they were moving past that caricature thing. You can tell that. And I think they switched like writers partway through this one. Mm -hmm. This is another one where they kind of got either that or they just started to zero in on what the show was supposed to be. So mm-hmm. they started with caricatures. It was supposed to be Animal House. Uh, it's supposed to be Animal House meets Police Academy. It ended up being kind of its own animal, even though the characters are all very lifted very cleanly from Police Academy. And I think in having them be pranksters and imps, they were able to relate to one another on a stronger level. 
Right. And as the series went on, I started to sense a very strong feeling of camaraderie between the people who worked together. Yeah. I think Mel started to become a much more sympathetic, real, more rich character. Yeah. Because uh, well, I finally have to get into her backstory. When they get into her backstory and the way she's treated by the other characters and not even not by the show, but by the other characters is very warm and very accepting. Mostly. And I think as we went along, we got the idea that these people actually love each other. They are they're See, good, they work well together and they really like each other. And it's not something the show started with, but it is something the show ended with. And here's here's the here's the thing I think mm. is kind of interesting about that. Um because I think that's what the show wants to be. Mm. I think it's what we want the show to be. I don't always think that's what the show is. And I think oftentimes I was like really getting invested in it. Mm. And then there would be a joke at Mel's expense. Mm. And maybe you could argue that it's that sort of mm. broy frat boy bonding that came out of that post animal house school of, yeah. of camaraderie in, in film. Mm. And that by simply being treated as one of the guys that she's a part of that. Mm. But sometimes it doesn't necessarily play that way. Here, here's a weird moment, for example. And this mm. is just, they didn't know any better. At least I hope that's all. Uh-huh. Um, when James Cromwell first goes to the last precinct in the pilot, he is shocked to see that Mel, a woman, is changing in the men's room. Okay. And it turns out that the women of the last precinct were not comfortable with Mel in there. Okay. I'm, generally speaking, that's not how that works. <laughs> and I think that's an odd situation. Mm. I was, think it's a sort of sort of just not mm, knowing any mm, better or not bothering to do any research or, or what. There, there was a joke later on, though, where uh, the Adam West character, who, you know, he's kind of an idiot, um, they were trying to send Mel into undercover to infiltrate this group of high-end prostitutes. Yeah. And they said, and she wasn't able to get in cause she's tall and blonde and they wanted somebody darker and more exotic. Yeah. And, uh, they were, they th- were looking for literally people from other countries. Right. So, th- and they said, uh, and we were going to send in Mel because she's a lovely lady and she was going to go undercover. And, uh, Adam West makes this really tasteless joke. What's wrong? You didn't pass the physical. <laughs> and, He's in the background of that shot. Mel is right in the middle in the foreground. And our two leads, uh, Night Train and Blandy McBlanderson, mm-hmm. are sitting on either side of her. And all three of them are really uncomfortable with that joke. And they kind of like give like an eye to one another. That was not cool. Mm-hmm. And it's actually this really kind of empowering moment. He makes a joke at her expense. They're not comfortable with it. And they're with her. But that only goes so far. There mm-hmm. are other moments in which it doesn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Like there's a scene where they're at a club. The king is mm-hmm. performing and she wants to dance. Like, hey, you guys want to go dance? And they're mm-hmm. just like, oh yeah, not with you, Mel. No, yeah, we're, yeah. we're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's awkward and weird. And then there's another joke in a later episode in which Wings Hauser gets injured and the only one who has the same blood type as him who mm-hmm. ends up saving his life is is Mel. Is Mel. And Wingshauser finds out, and he, being mm. a bigot, uh-huh. is shocked and disturbed mm. and disgusted. And everyone's laughing at him. Yeah. But then they perpetuate this weird joke as if maybe there was something to his anxiety, which is super mm. odd. Like, it's just like, well, I guess he'll never have to shave again, huh? Mm. But they don't say that as if, like, how, but how stupid is that? They say that as, like, I don't know, maybe that's how that works. Well, I, th- I think they're making fun of him. They're, they're, because they know, they know, that. they know he's uncomfortable, so they're constantly making these jokes to him, I, not at her expense. I want to think yeah. that. I don't always think it reads yeah. that well. I think on the page it might read okay. Oh, I think well. in practice, sometimes it doesn't play that well. No, sometimes, you're right. Sometimes it doesn't play that it's well. A but it's a very as, interesting example and, of early representation. Indeed, and uh, indeed her story arc is really interesting when her father comes by. Mm -hmm. I think this is episode 
four, three or four. Uh, that would um, be uh, four. Yeah, four. Yeah, in episode four, four, I want my uh, mummy, which has a mummy in it. It has a mummy in it. Yeah, oh, that's also the terrorists episode where they're going to mm. kidnap a mummy, put bombs in it, and mm. like blow people up. And that was funny once. Yeah, well, I mean, it was that was as funny as late as something like mm. True Lies. We were doing the funny terrorist for a nah, long time. fair enough, but still. Uh, uh, but Mel's father shows up at the precinct, and Mel's father, who is all man, baby, uh, he doesn't d- know Mel's has doesn't know Mel transitioned. Yeah, yeah, uh, and he wants to see his son, who is of course the I'm sure he's the top man at the mm. precinct, and they're like, and Mel, and he's talking to Mel. Yeah, and Mel's just like, oh hey. Yeah, let me uh, let me go okay. see if, if if he's around, and then he's like, okay, yeah, and hey, if you're gonna beat up any homosexuals, let me know so I can watch. Uh, well, and it's just and, like and we, Jesus we Christ. Got all the backstory, you know why Mel is not talking to her father anymore. And and fair enough, but that's some heavy shit yeah. to put in this otherwise light show, mm. and the tone doesn't fit. Yeah, you're because right. Because it plays like right. that's kind of like a joke, haha, mm. but I'm like there's nothing funny about that. Mm. It's actually just a tragic backstory for Mel. <laughs> and at the end of that episode, Mel they, they they say like, "Hey, did you end up talking to your father and and telling him and like mm. hashing this out and getting closure?" And Mel is just like, "You know, no." We didn't. Couldn't, yeah, we couldn't do it. Couldn't yeah. do it. Did, and, wasn't but, able to have the conversation. But here's the thing: everybody goes to bat for her. Everyone does. Yeah. And yeah, but this is what's really really cool. Mm. And then Adam West, who is playing a ditzy character, like mm. he often does. Uh, he comes in and is like, I just spent some time mm. with Mel's father. Mm-hmm. And we had a long heart to heart. And everyone's like, oh, God, did he did he tell him? Uh-huh. And and Adam West just looks at Mel and is like, and I told him his son is one of the best officers in the precinct. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, that's yeah, cool. That's cool. And yeah. and there's a later episode that's where... Not your, that's not your business, man. You, you don't get to make that decision. That's and, great. And there's another episode later on where Mel alludes to a fact that she was going to go play pool with her father. So she's actually working through that. It's, oh, not, it's nice not really deeply explored. But yeah, that's, that's kind of something that's hanging out in the background. I think it is kind of progressive despite all of the offensive 80s stereotype humor, which yeah. is all over this show because There's, it was the mid-80s and it was an earlier my time. My wife had a great comment. Mm. Uh, Michelle, who's been on the show before, mm. uh, and will be again at some point, <laughs> um, and she's designing our shirts for us. Her, mm. her design for Rot Realty, the t-shirt, just makes me laugh so hard and I can't <laughs> wait for it to be done. Uh, that'll be done real, real soon, mm. by the way. It's almost done. Um, but uh, she had a great point. We were watching the show. She was like, the problem with the show is that it uses... It doesn't use character types, it uses stereotypes. Yeah. And a lot of people can confuse those really, really easily, mm. but a character type is a character who has who is driven by behavior. Mm. You know, the the miserly character. Mm. The or, commedia dell'arte stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you look at something like Clue. Every character in the movie Clue mm. is very clearly defined, like you know how they'll respond in any situation. They're not necessarily a, a stereotype or an archetype, mm. a couple of them are, but like they're not necessarily, you just know what they'll well, do in a, any situation. A, char- a character type applies to something you encounter in drama. A stereotype is something you apply in real life to a group. Yeah. And it's and it's that's basically mm. it. It's like, hey, but what if this person from this group was on this show? Mm. I don't know, whether they have a good character? We don't care. Comedy. Mm. And av- after a while, I don't know if it's from sheer force of will on the part of the actors, who some of whom were clearly too good for that, mm. or if the, the writers were genuinely getting better, but after a while it does start to grow on you and you do mm. start to get more affection for them. I'm not sure it's ever enough. But I think it, it does gradually increase. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the second episode. You were watching this episode and you mm. tweeted, I think, pretty much the only thing there is to say about it. 
what did I say? Which is like the last precinct went full gorilla costume too soon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, this. Yeah, this is. Uh, they have to. Oh dear God! Uh, there's a sick ape, and the the person working at the zoo doesn't know who to call. The people who ordinarily take care of sick apes are out of town, so they call the last precinct, and so they have to deal with the sick ape, which through plot machinations, which I don't want to get into, involves it will eventually involve the fat guy getting into an ape costume and taking the ape's place while they abscond with the ape. They were smuggling diamonds inside a gorilla. Mm. That's the gist of it. Yeah. So they got to kidnap the gorilla now that it's at the zoo and take a giant cartoon diamond out of the gorilla mm. by the fat guys in the gorilla suit. Yeah. I'm trying to see if I made any other notes about that episode <laughs> because there's not no. much to it. Diamond in gorilla. There, there's a weird... There's oh, weird, there's one funny there's a, bit where the, uh, where the fat guy is going to get like an appendectomy mm. and and he's really worried about it. And Mel actually has a really funny line. Mel says, well, don't worry. I won't feel a thing. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, so fa- there's, there's a weird, stupid charm to the gorilla suit because of just the bad history it's had in movies and TV. Yeah. Well, it's been like the lowest form of comedy for the longest time. If you want to make something a... kind of funny, you put a guy in a really obvious gorilla suit. I don't understand why that's ever worked. I have never laughed just because there's a guy in a gorilla suit. Well, I laugh at it now because it's been done so often and it's never been funny that it's like the one unfunny trope that you always have to go back to. It, that I always laugh at the the pathetic desperation when it happens. This is like a comedian bombing on stage and like flipping a switch and his tie spins. Yeah. Like that's how that's... desperate the gorilla suit gag is even in the 80s uh-huh. it was not a funny gag mm. we were over it <laughs> it wasn't good i'm trying to think of the i guess as gorilla suits got better <laughs> like the gag started to fall away a little bit but this is at a time when gorilla suits were still pretty bad yeah that's not it's not mm. good no one we convinced mm. ever uh then uh, the next one was called mr cool mm. which was kind of this weirdly elaborate setup of basically what it boils down to is there's a guy he's gonna and it takes forever to get here but mm. there's a guy he's gonna turn is this state's the evidence weekend at bernie's mob. episode yeah. yeah he turns state's evidence against the mob he's got to mm. get all of these weird wacky uh, uh requests in order to uh uh you know mm. go on the witness stand against this big mob boss and he insists on staying with mel because he's a sexist asshole and Mel is hot. Mm. And then there's this weird bit where he's eating the food they got him and Mel is jogging around him in her own apartment. And then he says something stupid and she just casually punches him in the throat and he uh. dies. <laughs> and now they have to pretend he's still alive in order to lure the guy, the bad guy, into incriminating himself by and trying to kill him. So that they essentially try <laughs> to provoke the bad guy, who's played by an actor named Art Metrano, by the way, who played the G.W. Bailey replacement character in Police Academy 3. Right. <laughs> Played, played Captain Mauser. Oh uh, so, yeah, they have to essentially goad him into shooting the dead guy that they're pretending to be alive in all of these really, uh, quote, amusing Weekend at Bernie's scenarios. And they try to get uh, Mel to pretend like she's the mall who's going to marry the corpse. Yeah. And to make him jealous because he's also in love with Mel. To be fair, this predates Weekend at Bernie's by quite a lot. Yeah. By, so, like, by like about four years. I'm guessing the screenwriters of Weekend at Bernie's probably saw this episode and thought, hey, we can make a whole movie yeah, out of that. Yeah, no one's going to ever talk about this show again. Yeah. No one's ever going to, they're never going to invent podcasts. Uh-huh. Like, we're fine. <laughs> it's 
good thing there's no internet yet. I mean, look, pretending dead people are alive, pretending unconscious are alive, is a gag as old as time. But the specific context of this mm. episode is very weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, then the next one was the Mummy episode. There's not much more to it other than there actually is a funny gag where. Um, all of the post-ad breaks are introduced by the Star Wars title scroll. Wait, and when with, they pull with the actual away. John Williams music, by the mm. way, they're like there was there was the real stuff. It wasn't mm. some weird cartoon version of it, and uh, and it was just like describing the plot. But by mm. the end of it, um, they they cut to the screen, but there's nothing on it, and they like sort of pan up, and the guy who was doing the titles was distracted. Yeah, <laughs> and then he does them, and then the titles fall away, and he's making out with his girlfriend. Uh, my favorite gag is they they had the you know the star feel of the stars, and the crawl is crawling away, and the crawl vanishes. We zoom out of the star field, and it's actually a glittering stocking on the leg of a hooker that was in the precinct. <laughs> that was kind of cute. Cute gag. See that the gags got better. Characters got a little warmer mm-hmm. for gradually, but yeah. Episode five actually has a halfway decent plot, I thought. It's called Never Cross a Vampire. Uh, at the this be- is the Richard Lynch episode. Yeah, Richard Lynch plays a guy who is obviously a vampire who is stealing blood from blood banks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're trying to catch the criminal. Uh, the protagonists, of course, realize there are no vampires, but everyone else gets their blood worked up. Adam West goes on a serious vampire hunt. Uh-huh. And like hand stakes out to everybody, assuming the vampire is real, this which is... which led led to one of the worst gags I thought in the whole show. Which was well, the, the fat guy who's always eating stuff. He comes in with a big box and he says, "I have just what we need to fight off a vampire." Steaks, and the fat guy goes, "Oh, steak!" His face lights up. It's I, I want I wanted to punch the show in that moment. But there is but, actually uh, another one of my favorite jokes is in this one because they're in a they're in a hospital and they're trying to. Mm. Track down whoever might be stealing the blood. And there's a reporter who's following them, by the yeah, way. And yeah. they're on an elevator, and every time the elevator door opens on the next floor, the reporter is there, asking there questions. there at the next floor, And then yeah. they go on the next floor, and they go, no, 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 we're not answering questions. And then it's the keys there again, and they're like, my God, they're fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the best part is when they finally see a guy just walking around with a tray of blood, you know, like you do. Uh-huh. And they go... Get him! He's stealing blood! And he runs away, and uh, they chase him all throughout the hospital, and finally they're just like, Aha! And, and, we and knew it's, it was they're you! They're like in pint glasses, yeah. too. It's just like pint glasses of blood. And we knew it was you! You're the one stealing blood! It's like, no, I wasn't stealing blood! I work in the hematology wing! Well, then why did you run? I thought you were arresting me for all the drugs I've been stealing! <laughs> and Adam West says, damn, we almost had something here. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you, you didn't sell, sell the punchline of the elevator gag. Oh, I'm sorry. Because because they, they, like they're all the last precinct is waiting in the elevator. The door opens and the reporter's there on the other side of the door. It's like yeah. no, no, closed door. And they go up there to the floor and he's there again. And then when we get to the top, we see the reporter. We see the door open. The reporter's there, but all the cops are gone. Like somehow they're just missing from the elevator, and we don't know what happened. Oh, no, someone says, "Oh, they got off between floors," somehow, as if that's yeah. a thing you can do. <laughs> like they never actually explained it. So yeah, it's a, it's a good physical gag. It's good. a fair enough good. gag. Um, the gag actually, like the plot, is actually halfway kind of fun. Where it turns out uh, they're not vampires; uh-huh. they're actually stealing blood because there is a criminal, uh, 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 mm-hmm. you know, heavily wanted, top ten most wanted criminal, uh, who is like forcing them to give him blood transfusions because he's been shot and he's mm-hmm. a rare blood type, so they have to steal it. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's, that's actually that's actually not a not a half bad gag. Mm-hmm. There's one other gag here because Richard Lynch plays again. He's he's pale pallor talks mm. like this and he has a hench person who's this like little guy mm. except uh he's actually like eight feet tall 
and they introduce you to this yeah, concept. Yeah, this is a really good guy. They introduce this you to this concept. Guy. He's sitting down, mm-hmm. and he seems like a really tiny guy, and Richard Lynch is towering over him, and Richard Lynch pulls him up by his lapels. Mm-hmm. So this henchman is like now like two feet taller than Richard Lynch, and Richard but, Lynch is shaking him about but, like, hold on. But we cut back to his feet dirt while he's being lifted up. Right. But so, but the the selling point is he lifts the guy up two feet in the air, then he lets go of the lapels, and the guy just stays there, and he's just that tall. <laughs> yeah. And I've never seen that gag before in my life, uh-huh. and that's a funny gag. That's a funny gag. We're gonna let him have that one. <laughs> All right, episode six, Ghost of a Chance. Uh, Ernie this is, this is the inherited the haunted mansion. Ernie Hudson's character, who by the way is named Night Train. Mm. Uh, he is the last person to see, like, a mobster alive. Like, he's there when a mobster dies. Mm -hmm. And the mobster stipulated in his will that whoever is there with him in the end will get everything. Mm -hmm. And he inherits a house. And the house is 1313 Mockingbird Lane, Uh, which is the Munster's house. But when they visit it, they play the Addams Family theme song. Waka Waka! Which which I'm not sure if they didn't know any better or if they were trying to play with our expectations. I don't know. (laughs) It's, it's a weird gag. It's dumb. They got them all there. They're all in costume. The the, the bulk of this episode is just them creeping around a c- castle, yeah. kind of saying funny things. The idea there's is not the, much of a story. The place is condemned. Mm. It's going to be torn down tomorrow. But there's a treasure somewhere in the house. No, it's not a treasure. It's like a diary with all of his criminal under. Oh, right. So it's right, actually, right. actually work-related. They're, they're looking for something. So they're all looking for the diary. They all pair off. It's a lot like, it's a lot like the movie Clue, honestly. Mm. There's even an Yvette character who's like in a mm. very sexy maid outfit, but what's really funny about her is she gets scared real easily and she just screams at the top of her lungs for like 20 seconds at a time when as she does she punches people like she, <laughs> just this tall lady in a sexy maid costume screaming and punching people mm. anytime anything even remotely scary happens and that also made me laugh and I'll let him have that mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it turns out the mobster was also a magician and the, the book didn't have what they thought it was going to be big twist so what uh, uh it's it's that the episode is efficient more than anything. It's um, fine. It, it's cl- it would amuse an eight year old. It's a good movement away from the the raw. We at, at this point you realize that we're away from the raucousness and raunchiness of the first couple episodes, and they're kind of just settling on quirky. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll take quirky over prurient any day. Yeah. These are fine subplots for a half hour sitcom about this. Mm-hmm. This is like Brooklyn, I've seen these plots like, in half hour yeah, sitcoms. Like, this is so. Brooklyn Nine Nine if the characters weren't good and it wasn't as funny and it was twice as long and twice as dull. <laughs> That's the problem with it. Uh, the next episode is called Toehold, and this is the wrestling episode. This is the one where uh, Adam West gets to dress as a luchador. Yeah, it turns out uh, luchador is also a bad guy. Yes, yeah, planning he's... on t- some terrorist shenanigans. Yeah, it's the old uh, we're throwing a big event as a distraction for the underground tunneling we're doing to like the bank next door gag, mm-hmm. a gag we haven't seen since Casablanca the series, but I'm sure we'll run into it again. Uh, and the luchador who's going to do in the big be a part of the big match is also the head explosives guy. Mm-hmm. So they kidnap the luchador or they arrest him before they, he can go to his mark. And it turns out he looks a lot like Adam West. So Adam West puts on the costume mm. and has to do wrestling Adam, and bomb defusal. Uh, whatever problems you might have had with this show leading up <laughs> to this point, whatever, you know, squirm inducing moments, whatever bad timing there was in some of the gags. When, you know, if, if you're uncomfortable with the premise, a lot of that is forgiven by the sight of Adam West in a luchador costume 
playing a luchador, doing a funny voice, and trying to defuse a bomb all at the same time because that's freaking hilarious. That is that is that is mm. indeed pretty hilarious. There's this it's one, like, there's this one weird bit um, in in this particular episode that I couldn't tell if it was a joke or not. Okay. And again, because a lot of these older shows that have been officially released, we people recorded them on VHS and we're lucky enough to get access to them. Mm. There was a bit halfway through a car chase where they showed like the color bars and NBC logo, and I couldn't tell if that was a gag I or an actual problem with the air. I think it was act- an actual problem with the airing, but I wouldn't have put it past the producers of the show just to do that to skip over doing an expensive car chase sequence. Um, also, uh, Adam West doesn't get to fight just anybody. Mm. Adam West fights Professor Toru Tanaka. Yes, he does. Okay, now Professor Toru Tanaka. I, I, I had I had to look up his name, but yeah, it's like you've seen him in everything. I don't know if younger people know who Professor Toru Tanaka is, but he was everywhere in the eighties. He was great. He was Sub Zero in The Running Man. I yeah, think that's where if, a lot of people will know him from. If, if you if you saw a really big Japanese wrestling type guy who wasn't Bo, well, like well, I guess Bully Young's not Japanese, but and he's not that big. Bo Young is big, but, 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 but Professor Tanaka was like more like wrestler big. Yeah, he was like he was just yeah. a large man, not like a buff guy, just a large Japanese dude. It's probably yeah. him. Yeah, uh, I think uh, people probably like younger people probably know him best as the character Rushmore from Three Ninjas. Oh, well, all Sorry, right, fine, he's yeah. always fun seeing everything, and mm-hmm. he got to fight Adam West. And they wrestled, he wrestled Adam West. So yeah, cool. Adam West dressed as the bad guy. The bad guy say, "Hey, we got this bomb. Uh, how do you arm it?" And Adam West has to pretend to be the bad guy and has to arm a bomb while dressed as a luchador. I uh, that's great. That's great. All right, and then the last episode, mm-hmm. I got some of what was happening. <laughs> it's okay, a really so confusing episode. I understood the part with the brothel. Okay, there's, All there, the there's a brothel, and, and they have to infiltrate the brothel. Mm-hmm. They can't use Randy Brooks because she's blonde, so they have to ask Alphabet, a character we haven't talked about an awful lot because he's a stereotype. And also, he doesn't have a lot to do. And he doesn't have a lot to do. Uh, he's... I, I liked the... Pl- uh, forgive me, but I actually liked the play. Uh, he's an Indian character from the country of India, and there are a few char- moments throughout the series where he laughs at American Indians and just sort of that they're both called the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's also a couple of weird moments I, where he's like racist against other people. We don't talk about too often in America. Mm-hmm. Like he makes some weird comment about how this guy is like as dumb as a Turk. And yeah. everyone's just sort of like, Oh, that's, that's kind of weird. You made that weird alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, alphabets, you know, they need somebody exotic. So in, <laughs> in the stupid F troop, twist they put him in drag uh-huh. and, they and of ha- course the bad guy is super sexed up guy, about it the bad guy is really sexed up of this man in drag but doesn't know he's really a man and is also mm. really a homophobe so in the final twist they they have him close his eyes and have alphabet make out with him while stripping out of drag and just is dressed as a cop and they use his homophobia against him and that's how they bag him right that part i got that that no, part's but relatively straightforward also a subplot about a bunch of russian circus performers who are defecting and they're just around the precinct and i don't think any of the russian defector 
elements have anything to do with the main plot. I don't think so either. I think they're just was, there for just visual color. That's what confused me. It's just like a bunch of Russian defectors show up at the priest and like, we are defecting from Russia and we have all of these people from the circus who are joining us. And then the, there's acrobats and jugglers and fire breathers. I think it was just to have this weird like nuisance for the characters to have to work around while they're at the precinct. But then there are these th- there's this old couple who might be going to jail. That's right. And there's too. a there's a sea story yeah. where there's this new character who's introduced who is on the trail of an old elderly pair of criminals, one of whom is played by I, I think her name is Frances Day from Twin Peaks and In the Mouth of Madness. Oh yeah, she's great. I think it's Frances Day. Frances Day who uh who, yeah, they're, they're like these old criminals who are still on the run after this long time and we have to close this case. So there's this other sea story about this old guy who's trying to track down this other old guy. Was not Francis Day. Oh. Uh, no. Just Francis Day is different actress. I want to look it up. I want to look it up. But yeah, but that plot never goes anywhere either. They just decide to escape. No. And then the circus leaves and then they stop the brothel. And that's it. There yeah. was a little bit of a thing about how they had accidentally invested money in the brothel, and so if anyone found out, the police department would be in trouble. Oh, right. That, mm-hmm. th- that adds, like, a cute element, but, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. The last episode of the show is a real kind of a letdown, confusing jumble. Because <laughs> you're right, it was getting better. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was ever getting good, per se, but, like, it was getting better. It was getting more coherent. It was getting more cohesive. The characters were at least starting to grow on me and each other. Mm-hmm. And I think when the show was at its best, it was celebrating. Just how Francis Bay, not Francis Day. Okay, yes. Uh, Who is indeed and was great. Uh, But yeah, when it's celebrating just how quirky and odd these characters are, and how, like, seriously, in any other film, all of these characters, with the exception of Ernie Hudson Mm. and uh, the the not Bill Murray guy, uh, they would be the (laughs) The not Steve Gutenberg. Yeah, yeah. most of them would be the comic relief characters in any movie. Mm. And here they have their own show. I mean it. Like, seriously, like, take any, like, terrible cop show and with a normal cop and a wacky partner and just give all the wacky partners their own show. That's the last precinct. That's a fun idea for a show. When it's good, it's never that good, but there are glimpses of what this could yeah. have been. So the question is, was it canceled too soon? No. I say yes. I think there was an, there was enough hope. There was enough enough promise here. I, you could see them really zeroing in on something. And I think by the end of the first season, if this had lasted a whole season, like a full 13 episodes, mm-hmm. we finally would have had the right tone. It, it is to be hoped a better pace and uh, a kind of camaraderie and warmth between the characters that really would have carried through a, and, uh, and kind of a, a better uh, comedic style. That could kind of run the the line between broad slapstick and just good character work. See, I think, I think, and it would have actually hit on something that could have been pretty entertaining and would have deserved to go on to maybe other seasons. I agree. There's something here. I think again. I think the concept is great. Mm-hmm. Some of the cast is really good. Mm-hmm. I know. Seen, I know. I've seen a lot of them good in other things. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam West is a gem. Adam West is usual. great. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Ducommon. Frank Ducommon. Frank Ducommon. Yeah. Uh, is it? Frank? Rick DeComet. Rick DeComet. Rick DeComet. Yeah. Rick DeComet's a funny guy. Uh-huh. I love Rick. I love Rick DeComet. Um, Ernie Hudson is. I, I feel like maybe he's in the wrong role here. Like maybe he should have been like the the lead normal guy role. Yeah, he's he's he's, he's charming. He's, he's really funny. He's, he's good great, in the but show, he, yeah. I think he's better as a straight man, and he's asked to do a little too much uh, uh, silly stuff. silly stuff. I think that's kind of where he lived. Mm. Um, but w- whatever, it's a good concept. It's a good premise. 
my thing is this. I just feel like the water has been kind of too tainted by the lack of quality here. Because, mm-hmm. the, frankly, these episodes... Again, we highlighted... Go back over the episode. Mm-hmm. Seven jokes that made us really laugh. Mm-hmm. Most of the jokes fall flat. Well, you're right. And that's my thing. It's, it's, not, it's never that consistent. I'm getting to like the characters more. But the more I like the characters, the more frustrated I am that they're not in a better show. <laughs> and I don't think the show would, would en- take enough of an about face... Mm. That it would become an all new program with these characters. I would love to see an all new program with these characters. If you wanted to reboot this, not that, anyone, <laughs> not that there's any interest whatsoever, but you just want to take this concept and apply it to a new show, do it. Mm. Great. But the show just isn't that good. Even though it gets better, it started so low. Mm. Like it started at Police Academy 4. And I think it got to Police Academy 2. <laughs> and I don't think that's really worth celebrating. Mm. Police Academy but 2, the series, it's it, not really something that gets it, me excited. I think, though, it, it was on an upward trajectory. And I think if we had let it continue to go, it would have reached Police Academy 3. I'm not entirely confident <laughs> it would have ever reached. Maybe Police Academy 1 by season 5. Like, that's oh, my not, thing. No, because, it wasn't that. It was, it was this a, is a what good they thought, upward curve, This I is think. what they thought was fine mm. to start with. Like, they started really messed, just really wrong. Well, I'm not seen, talking about all I've the seen character a lot dynamics of pilots for even, even good shows that started out kind of confused, and by the end of the first season, they had kind of hit a stride a little bit, and I feel like The Last Precinct was heading toward a really good stride. And, and uh, from a character perspective, mm-hmm. even from a dramatic perspective, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. From a comedic perspective, I don't think shows, shows typically change that dramatically they fine tune they hone but they're reasonably similar a lot of the time hmm. this is the type of comedy we wanted to make and i think even by the end even though it gets a little less madcap mm. um i think the humor stays more or less the same it's just maybe five jokes per episode land as opposed to none okay and I don't think that's so, a good enough ratio so, for me to want to see more. So from, from episode and one, by the way, there's like a hundred jokes per episode. So this is not a good oh, ratio. Wow. Okay. I don't that's know. my there, there was this weird sort of charm that eventually kind of got to me, even though, yes, yes, there were painful, painful moments throughout. I found myself wanting to like it as much yeah, as that. Okay. I really did. Like, I was like, like oh, there's when, so when much I was promise on, here. When I was on episode two, I was like, this show sucks. I hate yeah. this. And I, I was like, well, almost like with a burning passion, I was hitting this show. But then a few gags would start breaking through and then some good character work would start breaking through and you can tell them, find, you could see them finding something and I knew they were in the midst of finding something really interesting. That's the, that's, that's the danger of what we do, though, is that we give these, this show more of a chance than probably most audiences did. Yeah. Any, any show we do, unless there's only one episode, in which case we only do the one, we're watching every episode of a series that didn't pick up enough of an audience to keep going. Mm. Uh, and as a result, we're giving, and we're binging it, too, so we're getting really ingrained. An encapsulated in, version. Yeah, we're, well, not even encapsulated. We're just living in it mm. in a way that maybe only the showrunners ever did. And as a result, it's possible to build up more affection for something than maybe it necessarily warrants because we're living with it more. Mm. And I think we want to like these shows. We don't want to suffer. Well, uh, <laughs> we want to like these shows. Sometimes a show gets me on, on the hate groove pretty early on and does nothing to, to shake me out. Yeah. But uh, uh, 
this one didn't do that. Like it put me in the hate groove and then it knocked me out again. So I was, I was okay. So I'm, I'm standing by it. I, I I didn't hate it to start with, but I had just seen this movie joysticks. Okay. Fucking awful. Also, I've awful movie. I've seen every one of the police Academy movies. Some of them maybe about a dozen times each. I I was very fond of those, those films as a kid. Yeah. So, Fine. Maybe but, I'm a little bit more on this show's wavelength as a, a Police Academy knockoff. I liked the Police Academy movies fine as a kid. I have not revisited them as mm. an adult. I honestly haven't. C3, that's the only one. I hear 3 <laughs> is the good one. Um, but yeah, no, honestly, like all I could think of is the cinematic oeuvre of mm. Graydon Clark. <laughs> and whoever told whoever told Graydon Clark in a sense of humor was was mean mm. to all of us. Graydon Clark made some good movies. Mostly, he made very very bad ones. And joysticks <laughs> he made a is, lot of garbage. Joysticks is like basically like trying to do like used cars, but with mm. an arcade. Yeah, and it's all about how playing video games is like guaranteed to make you cool and get you laid mm-hmm. which uh i guess that's an okay fantasy but like yeah, it's, it's it's the fantasy of the people who go to there it's, it's so and... prurient it's like sub trauma humor and I, I looked at the pilot of this and it's there's so many parallels Every, everything from we're gonna break into the bad guy's house he can't see us there and we're accidentally like sleeping with his wife like that kind of thing <laughs> like it's just these, these lousy tawdry mm. gags now, they got less tawdry, but the gags continued to be lousy for the uh, most part. At best, low-hanging fruit most of the time. Occasionally inspired, but I'm not sure it wasn't by mm. accident. So that's my only thing. It just uh, wasn't funny enough. Okay. Fair. But I, that, I like the characters. That's fair enough. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to butt heads with you on this one because I'm not, not, I'm not hugely passionate. I'm just saying that I, I wouldn't have minded to see this actually find its feet. All right. Fair enough. Do we have any letters? Uh, let me look up some letters. Okay. Uh, cancel too soon has an email account. It is canceled too soon. Mm-hmm. All one word. One L at gmail.com. Uh, a lot of people send us suggestions. We don't read all those on the air because it's usually just okay. Noted. Mm. We'll put that on the list and we'll get to it whenever we can. Uh, but people like to send us uh, their reactions to the shows. Maybe they saw them when they came out. Maybe they caught up with them because we reviewed it. Um, memories, questions, trivia. Um, you want to ask us just questions about us as hosts? By all means, please do. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's really great. Do we have anything going on right now we should probably filter these more yeah these the, the, unfortunately we sh- we're still getting a lot of uh emails like from our patreon well don't open those is, yeah just uh, ignore those uh here's one from uh, one of our many haydens <laughs> <laughs> several haydens you write in okay um hello since season three of twin peaks is coming up this was written a while back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I would catch up on all 30 episodes. Twin Peaks has always been a hole in my Lynch fandom. Last night I got done with season one and loved almost every episode. I really fell in love with some of the characters and couldn't get enough of the universe. Agent Cooper is truly one of the best characters to ever grace the small screen. What are your thoughts of season one and what should I expect for season two? Please no spoilers. Uh, spoiler, season two sucks. Um, <laughs> by, by the time you've, uh, you're, we're reading this letter, yeah. You probably found out. Season two. One of Twin Peaks is mm. one of the most superlative seasons of television. It's yeah. really great. It knows exactly what it is from frame one. It is a perfect marriage of horror, surrealism, mm. whimsy, and soap opera. Yeah. And they are, do a really good job of keeping many different plots in the air, crisscrossing them, mm. keeping them engaging, keeping the audience un, uh, uh, surprised. 
solving the mysteries that they present to you. Not the death of Laura Palmer for a while, but most everything else gets resolved at some point, mm. and they're replacing with something new. Yep. And then uh, it keeps going along okay for a few episodes into season two, but then they were forced to reveal mm. who killed Laura Palmer. Which was studio mandate, by the was. way. Yeah, yeah, they did not want to do it. They never wanted to do it. Um, and, like, literally, the show would have gone on forever, and they wouldn't have mentioned it. Mm. Well, they would, have, they would have talked about it, but they never would have resolved it. Um, and uh, so they revealed it. They didn't know who did it. Mm. You have to, otherwise you, you can't write it. Um, so they revealed it. One hell of an episode, honestly. It's a great reveal. Yeah. Um, and then they didn't have anything to replace it with. And it takes them forever to figure out what to replace it with. And when they do find a way to replace it with something, it's not very good. It's kind of this weird serial killer shtick mm. that never really pans out terribly well. Yeah. No, I didn't say no spoilers, but yeah. I had to give you the gist of it. Yeah. But it ends super great and super surreal. And boy, does that set the stage for season three. Because season three yeah, is well, fucking th- weird. They brought back David Lynch to do the cap. It's like, hey, can mm. you finish this up? Well, I don't know what you guys have been doing over here without me. I've been busy making Wild at Heart and... and mm-hmm. Okay, you guys made a mess of things. Let me let me just lynch this. <laughs> <laughs> the last like t- 10 15 minutes of the last episode of season 2 of Twin Peaks, pretty great. Were mm. f- so unlike mm. anything. Mm. Like no one knew what the hell to do with it. It was so creepy. Mm. Super cool. Super right. cool. So it's it's kind of worth it to get to it. And honestly, like after a while, season two did kind of grow on me a little bit. But oh, okay. yeah, it's um, been a while since I've seen season two. I just remember being like, this is nothing like yeah, and I it's, and it's longer. Like season one is only oh, yeah. a couple episodes. It's, it's like 10 it's episodes, like, something like that. Eight or 10. It's, it's like eight. I think yeah. I think there's eight. Ep- and then season two is like 20. And it's like, oh, this yeah. is interminable. Yeah. Like the, there's like the, the, the last episode, like nine through 19 or pretty hard to get through yeah, and it's yeah. It, yeah i can see why people left anyway. uh one more letter this is this is from aj hey guys mm-hmm. i'm aj big fan of the show discovered the podcast because of bibs on what the flick oh cool thank uh, you glad bibs has introduced me to whitney now as well oh well thank you he's a cool guy um the first episode of the podcast i listened to was the rubicon episode it was a show i remember really liking but i think after revisiting the show after your episode i probably agree with your takes yeah. after that I, after that i went back and listened to the pretty much all the episodes the 100 lives of blackjack savage is crazy hilarious and probably my favorite also wanted to say i remember the crash dummies show oh you're God. the one jesus it's, right. our, it's still our lowest rated, lowest show, rated ever. show no one cares no one cares nobody remembers if you want to hear you want to hear about a show that literally no one has ever cared about once except for whitney and apparently aj <laughs> uh listen to our episode the crash dummies because Wow. <laughs> Boy, was that one weird. Uh, as a little kid, I loved them. I remember having a weird attachment to cra- the Crash Dummy toy car I had. So he had one of the toys. Yeah, it's fun toys. Anyway, I'm going to try to give uh, you guys a reprieve and recommend some quality shows. I hope you do. Since it seems you guys watch a lot of bad shows. Uh, number one, Awake. That's on our list. Get a lot of requests for Awake. NBC we'll get to it And he gives a rundown, but I'm going to skip the rundowns. Okay. Uh, Lights Out, an FX boxing drama from 2011. I was unaware of that until I read this email. So yeah. that's on the list now. Stacey Keach plays the father on mm-hmm. that show uh terriers we know a lot about terriers. Yeah, a lot of requests for terriers yeah. we're gonna get to terriers sooner than yeah. later i think um probably unsup- by the end of the year unsupervised another fx show from 2012 an animated comedy about two uh, beavis and buttheadish characters voiced by justin long and david hornsby hmm. uh and they're more they're more, a more optimistic friends friendly beavis and butthead Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, maria bamford all make appearances and cool. chicago code i love chicago code okay chicago a- code is one of my favorite straight up 
not like the wire super ambitious just good network cop shows nice like okay. it's a really good show and we're definitely going to do chicago right. someday. uh sorry for the long email but tv is a huge passion of mine and this podcast is great it takes a huge time commitment to do the stuff you guys do hope you can do one if not all of the shows i recommended look forward to becoming a patreon supporter soon thank you very much mm-hmm. yeah you rock thank you very much yeah Anything else? Uh, somebody wrote in about Alien Covenant, so I guess we'll do that on, on our other show. Uh, Canadian Keith writes in. We haven't heard from Canadian Keith for a little while. Uh, writing in on My Mother the Car. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Hi, guys. I was glad to hear my donation went to good use. He was the one who donated My Mother the Car yeah. to us. I've never seen the show. Thanks, Keith. <laughs> So I couldn't really contribute to the conversation. My only comment is that I'm surprised you guys didn't save the series to tie in with the release of Cars 3, although I suppose Auto Man would work just as well, Canadian Key. Were you going to read that email before? Uh, maybe so. Okay. Um, I feel like we have. We gotta, yeah. we, you, you're in charge of organizing this better. Yeah, next well, time. we have two email addresses and they're getting overlapping a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're almost done with all of our cancel too soon emails that are going to the B movies podcast email. Mm-hmm. And we now have the can we now have canceled cast at gmail.com. If you'd like to write in yourself, nope. canceled too soon at gmail.com. Oh, you're right. Canceled cast is you our just Twitter ruined email. Everything. I just ruined everything right into canceled too soon at gmail.com. If you want to hear us yeah. read your letter on the air, we are on Twitter at canceled, at canceled cast. cast. And the reason we're at Cancel Cast is because we had set up Cancel Too Soon, mm. and then Twitter wouldn't let us retrieve our password. Nope. Thanks, Whitney. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna blame all of that on Facebook because I set it up with my Facebook email and why Facebook canceled email because it was an email address I hadn't used yet. Well, why wouldn't you remember the, write down the password? I don't I don't know about that. Why wouldn't? You, yeah, that's the one why, you're gonna just call a mulligan. Why, why would I write down a password? I just I remember anything except for the password. Clearly. Um, so anyway, we're on Twitter at CancelCast. I'm Matt William Bibiani. I'm Matt Whitney Seibold. Uh, and uh, next week mm-hmm. on Cancel Too Soon, uh, we are going to have uh, another cop show, actually. Mm-hmm. Another uh, wacky cop show. This is a show I've been wanting to get to for a really long time. Uh, it is a show about a New York City super Italian stereotype detective mm-hmm. who moves to Santa Monica and gets a talking dog sidekick it's called tequila and benetti you you know it you, if you, <laughs> you've if probably you, heard of it if you've heard of tequila and benetti uh-huh. we're gonna do the whole series if you haven't heard of tequila and benetti do not miss next week's episode because the show is a legend for a reason mm-hmm. and it's great and i cannot wait to share it with you because i'm loving every minute of it so far wacky cop show talking dog yeah and after that, we'll move on to something else. Second show, second cop show about a talking dog that we'll have done. Um, uh, so far. So, so far. Yeah, we'll get, <laughs> I'm Canceled sure there are more. <laughs> I'm sure there are more. We started with the talking dog show. We're going to do another one. And then uh, we'll we'll do another one in another 53 episodes. I don't sure, know. why not? It's, it'll be an annual tradition, the talking dog go. cop show. Find them. Find them and make them happen. <laughs> uh, so everybody, thank you very, very much for listening. Again, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash canceled too soon we spell canceled with one l because that's the way we were told to do it proper way uh we're also on facebook.com slash canceled too soon uh and uh that's it am i forgetting anything nope that's it okay well well, inauspicious way to end the episode but thank you very much for listening everybody that is a wrap and we will see you next season